Well, good morning, saints. I'm going to ask you to take your um, pew Bible or your own Bible, uh, for starters. Later in the service, you're going to have to use the pew Bible unless you have the New American Standard. And it's funny to say pew Bible because we don't have pews anymore, right? (laughs) Come on, come on, let's bring it right now. What's the matter? Who's complaining over there? I can't hear you. If you're going to complain, say it loud. Thank you. Seat, seat packet, Bible pocket. It's one of those. Just to... Excuse me a second. There. Let's start over. 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, if you would. What kind of a church is that? They laugh. They laugh. What's that? I think enjoying God is not a bad thing. Instead of, in fact, we're going to speak into that a little bit today. Chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians is our text for today. And if you would, I'm going to ask you, to stand with me as I read the word of the Lord. You don't have to read with me. Later, you're going to recite a portion of scripture with me. But right now, just follow along as I read, starting in verse 23. Read it for yourself. I'll read it out loud. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together before you sit down again. Thank you, King Jesus, that you are uh, the beautiful one, fairest Lord Jesus, better than anything that you've created. Thank you that you are holy, that you never drop your, your holiness or your justice or your righteousness You never drop being the merciful God. You never change in that regard. We bless you for that. And thank you especially that on a day like this, we remember that it's because of your mercy and because of your great passion to glorify yourself as not only creator but also as redeemer that you sent your son into the world to do the will of the Father to lay his life down because the wages of sin is death. Somebody had to make atonement, make it right, and that you did on our behalf so that the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, could be our possession. So today we worship you for that. We give you praise and thanks in particular And ask that um, as we have been learning together how to worship you, that our minds might be illumined a little bit more, that we might take more delight in praising you and giving you thanks. 
Lord, really, uh, the whole world is going to give you glory at one point in, in coming. It already does in many ways, but there is a day of reckoning when the Son of God appears again that things are going to be pointed upward and we're all going to say, whether we're believers or not, Jesus is Lord. Well, how much more should your saints yell out, Jesus is Lord, and that we praise you and we thank you. Thank you for making us your children. Illumine our minds. As I was praying with our worship team this morning, I was reflecting on driving in, worshiping you with the Messiah's music. Lift up your heads, O gates, and the King of glory will come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord God Almighty, he is the King of glory. Lord, I desire that we would open our gates and let the King of glory come in. Help, help us to learn how to be worshipers in spirit and in truth, for such the Father is seeking. I think he's even seeking that among his saints. True worshipers who would worship him in spirit and in truth. So we do. We worship you today. We ask for your instruction. Take uh, your feeble servant's work and use it for your glory because you're the king of glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So today's message is called... Representing Christ's story. It's kind of a little twist on English, right? You would normally say representing. But I stole this, as you see. Anytime you see an asterisk, it means I'm at my old dirty tricks again. I'm stealing somebody's work. And this is the name of, uh, I think, the ninth chapter. Let me be sure. Yeah, it's chapter nine of Brian Chappell's book, uh, Christ-Centered Worship. He was the president of um, Covenant Seminary when I was working there in St. Louis. Representing Christ's story. And what he means by that is kind of what we know in our culture even. We get this a little bit. Anybody know what that is? Boy, you are smart. It's a reenactment, right? We try to imitate something historical, something that has happened, try to bring it to life. People who are really fans of this, they go into all the details, they have all the right materials, you know, the right cloth patches for their flintlocks, the whole thing. They try to make it as authentic as possible and then reenact what actually happened as best as we can know. I mean, we didn't have videotape back during the Civil War, so you have to just kind of do the best you can. Well, that's really kind of what's going on in gospel preaching. It's a reenactment, and that's why I use that title, Representing. Um, how many know what this is? Yeah, the season just ended. Anybody know what sukkah is? If you're Hebrew, you say sukkah. That's not like, get out of my way, sukkah. That's not that. <laughs> that's not what that is. It's sukkah. It's sukkot. It's actually plural with a T on the end, but the T is silent. Uh, that means a booth. This is the Feast of Booths, one of the three major feasts of the Hebrews. 
And every year they are supposed to, if you remember any of the language, you're supposed to cut palm branches down and leafy branches and celebrate before the Lord. Remember what I've taught on this before. Anybody remember? Make a lot of noise. This, all that noise was equivalent to one of those things, you know. That's what it was. Celebrate before the Lord. But the reason you cut those things down, making noise and having fun, a seven-day celebration, starting with the Sabbath, seven days of partying, and then another Sabbath, is you're going to build with those branches a little booth. Now, why on earth would God want people to act so silly? I mean, who in their right mind likes camping anymore? Our idea of camping is the Holiday Inn. But anyway, are you getting my drift? Well, let's see what it says. This is why your first verse on your, um, on your uh, bulletin, if you're a note-taker, not taper, a note-taker, is Leviticus 23, verses 41 through 43. And here's what it says. Celebrate this. After he tells them to get branches and rejoice before the Lord, celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Everybody with me so far? A lasting ordinance. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in booths for seven days. What a crazy thing to do. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths so that what? Your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. For 40 years, they wandered in a wilderness and lived in tents. They camped out, right? KOA, number one. Started back then. And I want you to remember that for 40 years, my people who I rescued out of Egypt with a mighty outstretched arm when I judged the gods of Egypt. Did you know that? That's who he was judging. It wasn't just Pharaoh. It was the false gods of Egypt. They had no power against me when I rescued over a million and a half people in one night. And I want you to remember this. For 40 years, you wandered in the desert. You lived in booths. I want your kids and everybody else who's watching you. I grew up in New York City. All my friends were Jewish. I used to watch them on the fire escapes. They'd build booths. That's where they'd have to hang out. It was great. I was like, what? Guess what? I know what it's about. Now you do too, right? I am the Lord. I want the next generation and anybody else who's watching, I want you to pass it on. I want you to reenact it. I want you to represent it. I want you to illustrate it. How many ways do I have to say it? Every day at the temple in Jerusalem, and at certain times of the year, all the Jews were supposed to come. All the males were supposed to come and worship. We can't even unpack that whole issue right now. Okay, just offload that I said all the males. Just They would come to worship. I said offload it. And they would come to worship, and they would come to the temple, and they would bring a lamb, and the priest would slit the throat of that lamb. Quite a visual. Yep. Anybody ever done farming? Anybody here ever have to cut a chicken's head off or anything like that? I won't go any further. I can tell. I see faces out there going, Ugh. I mean, it goes everywhere. This is a visual. Every day, every Sabbath, 
every major feast. What is being exposed here? What's being reenacted? A blood sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sin because the wages of sin is death. So somebody must make atonement. Every day it's being reenacted. Are you with me? This is not an accident. Oh, let's, let's think of some really cool religious thing to do. That's not God, what, what God was doing. It was being reenacted. It was illustrated. It was represented over and over and over and over. Another great festival is Passover. Robert Weber, who wrote Worship is a Verb, where I stole the title of my series... I didn't steal it. You're allowed to use it. If you bought the book, you can use it, okay? I'm not... Gee, I can just see after communion. Did you take communion this morning when you steal so many things? From those days right down to the present, Jews reenact the Passover event in celebration of their redemption from Egypt. Anybody know what day it is? Passover? Right, right before we have Easter, right? This is called, if you have, I have one. I have several of these, actually. The Jewish Haggadah, Haggadah, which is the ritual book, the prayerful recital or the Seder, the ritual order. Its purpose is not only to recite past events, but to bring them into the future. The Haggadah states in every generation, listen to this, In every generation, it is a man's duty to regard himself as though he himself went forth out of Egypt. Therefore, wherefore, we thank him who performed all these miraculous deeds for our fathers, but also for us. Here it is in italics. He brought us forth out of bondage. Brothers and sisters, is there an application here? Have you been delivered from bondage? Because if you don't know some experience about that, maybe you haven't been. When you know Christ, he's delivering you from bondage. What bondage? Our sin, right? Which we can't fight on our own. So the first uh, bullet we have here is representing it. Every Sabbath is a representation of gospel truth. Did you know that? We were reading, I believe it was in Emotionally Healthy Christianity. That's the first time I've got it right in three weeks. I got it right. No, I didn't. Oh, I think I'm going to sit down and start all over again. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me, please. Whatever that book is. There's a section that talks about Sabbath. By the way, brothers and sisters, I'm going to be leaning in on this because we are in sin on some things. We ram our lives to the point of exhaustion, and God gets the leftovers if he gets that. And part of the principle is a Sabbath. The principle of the Sabbath in the Old Testament was God rested from his labors and said, go do likewise. Okay, I know we have to work for a li- I get all of that. 
But we fill ourselves up with too many things sometimes, right? So the Sabbath itself and the pulling apart of the saints, they shifted it over, of course, to the Lord's Day in the New Testament, which was Sunday, first day of the week, you know, the resurrection, in, re- in memory of the resurrection. And uh, that in itself is preaching, representing the gospel again and again. God is for us. Worship is a time for reenactment. That's your first bullet in your bulletin. Worship is a time for reenactment. Mr. Weber says, Worship celebrates Christ and tells and acts out the Christ event. Don't get put off by these fancy terms. It's celebrating who? Yeah, because Jesus is our way to the Father. When you get Jesus, you get the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Everybody with me on that? You know, we're not uh, Unitarians or anything. You know, we're, 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 you know, we're Trinitarian, all right? That's historic Christianity, 2,000 years, never, never backed off of the Trinity. I'm not going to start now, okay? So you get all of him through Jesus. So we worship and we celebrate Christ, but also as we worship, especially on a day like this, we are reenacting, representing the gospel story of Christ's wonderful event. God entered into our human experience. His, it starts with incarnation, right? Incarnation, his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. We're remembering what Christ did for us and waiting. In fact, this day especially reminds us that we're waiting for the culmination. He's coming back, literally, Boy, I can't wait to see the newspapers the next day. This is going to be very interesting. I mean, what's in the newspaper right now has got something to do with politics, but when he comes back, it's going to be totally other. Yeah, you hope so. Me too. I've said it before that the ordinances of the church, or what some churches call the sacraments, model, illustrate the gospel. We have a baptistry up there behind the screen. What is that a picture of? I've said it till I'm blue in the face here, right? It mimics death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We're identifying with him. We're wearing a little uniform by being baptized. See, I'm wearing my military uniform that says I'm one of those who death, burial, and resurrection applies to. I'm joining with him in this. I'm in Christ. Baptism is an experience of that. And sometimes it's not just outwardly acting it. I do have a little trick question for us at the end of our service. Instead of coming and saying, gee, did I get anything out of that? Was that any good? Because I know what the boring preacher they have at Harmony. You may not get something out of it. But instead of asking that, how did I do at reenacting the gospel today? How did I do? Because it isn't about me. It's about us. Sometimes that reenactment can be a means of grace. It can have an impact. In fact, it's one of the fill-ins down further. Anybody ever done foot washing? I mean, it's not commissioned. Some of you have, right? It's not commissioned. Jesus didn't say you have to do foot washing. If you ever experience a foot washing, it's a humbling experience two ways right you see these these films of our uh, of the uh, new uh, pope pope francis you know down on his knees with prisoners washing their 
What a picture of exaltation coming down in humility. Is it not? But have you ever had your feet washed? That's humbling. I don't know about you. I don't want somebody else touching my punky feet. There's something really humiliating. There's something vulnerable about that impacts me. Do I want this? Wow. There's something about it. There are times that we should experience something, receive something as a result. This table, communion, we do it formally, but it also should have an effect. I'm just going to be blunt. How sad it is that it has deteriorated to a dead ritual. We have to do it. I can't tell you. I always hear, you know, I, I purposely shake up the schedule just to freak you out. <laughs> Supposed to be on the first day of the month. Tough. This is the last day of the month. So what? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, yeah. My point is, it just becomes a machine rather than an anticipation of meeting with our master Jesus. That's what the saints have always expected. Something unique might happen. Anybody ever heard of the Plymouth Brethren? When they had communion, no preacher. I know you're saying, we got to do that. (laughs) They'd sit in a circle. They'd start praying and worshiping and trust the Holy Spirit to pull verses out of people's heart, exhortations, prayers, whatever, and the Spirit would move in on them. I think we need a little more of that. A little more Holy Spirit participation all together. Maybe, maybe even though often it's dead ritual, some of what I share today will breathe a little fresh life into it, I hope. Let's see. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. What should you do? Do this represent this in remembrance of me. I want you, your children, your children's children, and your friends, relatives, neighbors, and anybody else you're willing to gossip about Jesus to. That's a good word. I want them to know what this is all about. So on your sheet there, R is for repetition. It is right to repeat things. It is not supposed to be dead ritual. That's on us if it is. But to repeat it is a good thing. Think from now on, maybe for a few months we can keep this on the forefront of our mind. We're coming to represent the gospel. We're here to represent what Jesus is all about. Repetition. You know, we need seasonal at, uh, we need seasonal and weekly and monthly routines, don't we? We need them. We need that discipline in our lives. We need the weekly Sabbath. We need the yearly pondering the resurrection of Jesus, the pondering of his death, the pondering of his birth. I mean, those kind of things. Who would want to dump those seasons? We need that. It's refreshing. I I know there's probably people in this room like my wife who look forward to the Christmas season And I already gave a little bit away because I broke out Handel's Young Messiah early. I mean, it's still November. That's against my rules, you know. It's like putting Christmas stuff out in July or something. You know, it's just wrong at the store. You know what I'm talking about? But we need that. 
And there's something good about that. We need to be reminded. Brian Chappell puts it this way, and this again will speak into what I said earlier. Do you know that you've been rescued from bondage? Watch this. Brian Chappell. Don't tell me I'm having problems again. I am. Uh, Yeah, there it is. The corruption and weakness of our natures make it vital that we preach the gospel to our own hearts every day. Let me read it again. The corruption and weakness of our natures make it vital that we preach the gospel to our own hearts every day. Did you preach it to yourself this morning? I'll tell you, I I have to. I just was sharing with somebody. I can't remember what context. I think it might have been our mentor group. I don't remember where it was, but here's this person that drives me crazy. Here's the question to ask. How am I like that? I mean, I'm complaining about them, but how am I just like that? Ow. Funny, the Holy Spirit always has an answer for me. I hate that. Are you with me? What's the problem with the What's the problem with the law? Let me let me. It, we must preach the gospel to our own hearts every day. What's the gospel? What is it? What's the gospel? What does gospel mean? Anybody? You got it. The good news. Why is it good news? Thank you. But it's not only worthiness, it's we are condemned by our own actions. We've done it to ourselves. You know, we say, well, I I was born. It's not fair. God, you know, let that infection of sin go through the whole human race because of our first parents. Yeah, but you acted on it, too, and you liked it. That's right, isn't it? So we're in trouble. That's the good news. The good, it's good news because we were stuck in bad news. We think, what's wrong with the law of God? Nothing. How many of you have a wrong thinking about the Bible? Old Testament's bad, New Testament's good. You're wrong. It's totally wrong. Totally, absolutely, 100% incorrect. Paul makes this kind of statement relating to this, our corruption and weakness. The law could not create righteous living, not because the law wasn't right, but because our natures were so wrong. The problem is in us, not in the law. So you have a good principle, we're the ones that mess it up. That's why this is good news. i got to preach the gospel. Left to myself, I'm bad news. The good news is I can rise above that. That's good news. I need to preach that to myself because Jesus has reached down to lift me up. I'm calling you up, brothers and sisters. Preach the gospel to yourself. If we were to take time, and we won't, because we're going to get to the Lord's table here pretty quickly. If you read the context, anybody know what the rest of 1 Corinthians 11 is about? Can you tell I'm up to something? That was in Acts. Right, that's an axe. Yeah, that's Peter getting out of jail. Oh, that's cheating. That's cheating. She's reading her Bible in church. What do you think of that? <laughs> First part is 
It's a shame for a woman to be in church and pray without her head covered. Where are you, ladies? Come on, where are those hats? Look, we can't, we can't unpack that. Whole. It's worship, exactly. It's the context of worship. Two dimensions. One was decorum. Without unpacking that, the point is, if you read a little bit through that, it says, therefore, let this be so, not because it looks good in church. It says because of the angels. There's a spiritual principle involved that goes way beyond our culture. Whoa. When are you going to preach on that, Pastor John? Oh, about five years from now. But anyway, here's the point. There are things that are appropriate decorum in church when we worship. All the stuff about gifts that follows chapter 11 says that. If you're going to prophesy, make sure everybody can hear. If you're going to speak in tongues, make sure there's an interpreter. There's all these principles that speak of decorum. Why? The ultimate goal is God is glorified and we're edified. God is glorified and we're edified. It's not all about you. We are edified. The next bullet down after decorum was talking about the abuse of the Lord's table, which is why after this section that we're studying this morning, Paul says, some of you sleep and are sick. That means you've gone to heaven. That's what he's saying. You're dead because you've abused the Lord's table. What was the description there? The description was they would have a love feast on Sunday. They would have the Lord's table and they would have a love feast together, just like the Jews used to celebrate when they went to the temple. It was a party, like a potluck. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. We'll never get, never hear the end of it. But anyway, it was like that. But here's what would happen. It tells us point blank. People were coming. They were overindulging. Some were drunk in church. Some people had the belly up to the bar Go buffet your body attitude. Have you ever been at the buffet buffet at the uh, end of the after church on Sunday? Get out of some people's way. They'll knock you over. Getting to the buffet. It's embarrassing. And they were doing that, and there was nothing left. And the poor who were part of the church probably had to come late because they were slaves and working in their master's house. By the time they got there, there was nothing left. And Paul is saying, You selfish people. You're sinning against the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Are you getting it? Decorum on the one hand and agape love was missing on the other hand. We're harming each other and Jesus takes it seriously. So if we're left to ourselves, we become disordered and disrespectful. If we don't care for one another according to the scripture... If we have the buffet attitude, left alone, we become selfish and badly behaved. And that's why Paul said, let a man examine himself and see if he should be approaching this table, which is always in order. I'll say it again today. It's always in order. I mean, if you're sitting in here seething and hating somebody in the body and it's happening this morning, just let it go by. I'd respect you more to watch it go by. But, I also want to turn this a little bit, if I may. May I? Who's going to stop me? I'm kidding. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What does the cup represent? The blood. And what does the blood do for us? Oh, so there is an upside to this, is there not? There is a joyful side to this that God delivers us, that he rescues us, 
that there's a positive end. Let me read something to you. I think some of you will relate to because we, those of us, there are some of us here that have been raised in church, right? Like more than three. The rest of you just bear with me for a minute. But those three, I'm going to speak for their benefit today. God acts, Weber says, through the bread and the wine. Now immediately, is there wine in those cups? No, it's grape juice. Relax. Okay, but I can still remember the feeling of awe and fear that overtook me the first Sunday of the month when I walked into the sanctuary and observed the white cloth draped over the communion table. Remember those days? The atmosphere, listen now, the atmosphere was akin to a funeral parlor and the music to seem to be more dreary than usual. Pastor's sermon was always a meditation on the death of Christ and a great deal of time spent in quiet silence contemplating one's sin. Sometimes, though, I felt the communion was tacked on to the end of the service and that we rushed through it to finish by noon. That's why I have a whole hour to keep going. But listen to this. Oh, I heard a groan over there. Listen to this, though. But most of all, I remember my feelings when the word, do this in remembrance of me, was spoken. That word, remembrance, always struck a responsive chord within me. I would bow my head and think hard, conjuring up the image of three crosses on Golgotha, with my Savior in the middle, dying on the cross for me. Now, that's right. That's okay. But listen. In more recent years, I have come to question the extreme sobriety, the heavy emphasis on self-examination, and the notion that remembrance is something we do by way of thinking about a past event. I don't mean to deny that there is an element of truth to sobriety, self-examination, and remembrance. But I wish by way of contrast to emphasize that the central key to the table is not what I do, but what God does. In and through the bread and wine, representing what he did historically. In short, God acts to proclaim his saving reality and presence to the believer. Consequently, the real meaning of the remembrance is a celebration of Christ's resurrection and presence. And here's the last line. The service should bring us through the death to the joy and gladness of his present resurrecting power in our lives. Through the supper, God acts in our midst. How does he do that? Well, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And by repeating that process, it's almost like an automatic sound check. Worship team, you all get sound check, right? You recalibrate what has to be fixed. You're ready to go. It's the same thing when we celebrate the Lord's table. I've gotten myself dirty this week. I'm a little bit of doo-doo spiritually. I need to reset, recalibrate my amplifier. I need to look to Jesus and say, thank you. This was wrong. I need your cleansing, your purging. This is why the blood, that whole verse, this cup reminds you that there's victory, that there's cleansing, that there's power in the blood. Amen? That I'm free now. I'm not under condemnation. And so we move from self-examination into rejoicing. Assurance of forgiveness, the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. It can, in fact, bring ministry of the Spirit into our lives. I mentioned the... uh, um, Yeah. 
I did. The, the group that did communion, uh, the, the Plymouth Brethren. It was not unexpected in places like that and other groups that would center on the Lord's table as a profound moment of worship and expectation of Jesus' presence to experience physical healings during the communion. Physical healings. Miraculous interventions of God because he's been invited. Lift up, you gates. Lift up your heads and the king of glory will come in. Wouldn't that be great? So here's what we find. This command to do this. I also received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. Just a quick point on this. What I received from the Lord. The word that is used there is interesting. Two words. We're commanded to do it. It's an imparted tradition. It's passed on, reenacted, represented. And the word there, I receive from the Lord, is this word, paralambano. And what it means, some people like the Greek. If you don't, you can ignore that. Here's the point. It's the word to take on something transmitted verbally. It's very much the language of a rabbi with his disciples who take on his tradition. Is not Jesus our rabbi? And are we not taking on his tradition? It's an orally uh, transferred, passed on, transmitted tradition. And Paul followed straight from the Lord, and he passes it on to us. So the tradition I received from the Lord, this is the way it was translated in the New Jerusalem Bible, the tradition I received from the Lord. That's like rabbinic language. It's not just like tradition like we hang Christmas decorations. It's a, a rabbinic passing on of something sacred, and they're owning it. So that is true. This gets passed on, and we represent it. So that's why the next verse is so important. For as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, what are you doing? You're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Here's the word proclaim. Katangelo. When you have two G's together in the Greek, it's pronounced with an N. Take that word apart. Take the K-A-T off the front and you have angel. Angel. Does that sound like anything? Angel. Angel. Angelos, the word for angel, means a messenger. Sometimes when you're interpreting scripture, you have to be careful it's not talking about a spiritual being called an angel or a physical messenger. You have to look at the context, make sure you're not getting confused, okay? That's the word angel, angel, a messenger. The gospel that we said, what is the gospel earlier, is evangelical, evangelion. It is the message that is passed on preaching good news. It's good news message, okay? This word is like unto it. Here's what it means, to declare, to announce, to promulgate, to make known, to public, publish. Your hymn, Publish Glad Tidings, remember that? Publish glad tidings. That's the word. To declare it, to teach it, to speak of it. Most often it's used, to re, it's used this way. It's translated ten times at least as preach. Preach. Okay, brothers and sisters. Hawko's the preacher here. Uh-uh. Not today. 
Not today. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're preaching the gospel. You're preaching the Lord's death until he comes. You catch the nuance there. You're preaching what happened in the past until he comes, which means everything in between. You're preaching the good news. Jesus is alive. He's asking us to spread his good news, and one day he's coming back. That's when this ritual can end in a big celebration in glory. Last thing. Worship is a time for renewal. It's a time for reenactment. That was your first part. This part is a time for renewal. The essence of worship. Preaching the word and participating in sacrament. God speaks, yes, but he also acts. He rescues us and communion and every other thing that is commanded in the scripture can become a means of grace in our lives if we'll obey it. In other words, when I obey, when I follow something God shows me, he shows me more. When I follow, he blesses me more. Sometimes we wonder why we're stuck in our spiritual life. I'll give you a hint. Go back to where you stalled. Restart the motor. And more light will come your way. It's a day of, you got two R's on your sheet, reconciliation and a day of reassurance. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that he has rescued me and given me life. I'm hoping to pour a little bit of life into our worship. Can I just read something to you from Rainer? You always trust Rainer. I know I'm not as handsome as he is, but... What healthy churches will look like in 10 years? 10 years ago. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Came out a few weeks back, I don't know, a month, maybe a couple of months back. There's a bunch of great things in here. I'll share it another time. But just the very last point was this. Every year for 10 years, these churches...